Hello and welcome to the latest Pooley podcast. You from the Vic, we'll go with that. Um, after a busy few weeks at the club and leading into uh, what we all hope will be a run to safety, another great escape, Joe, over the coming weeks or so. Um, plenty to discuss. Let's just get straight into it. Um, weekend at Bradford then. Uh, ordinary, that would be a decent point, you would say. Um, Pools played well, Some one of the... One of the greatest team goals League Two's ever seen. Um, back by a thousand away followers, all seemed relatively rosy at one, flash three o'clock, and then obviously in the afternoon, uh, Crawley win, Colchester come from behind, Rochdale pick up a point, Harrogate get another win, and then things look uh, increasingly bleak, I suppose. With this is just nine games now left to go, uh, heading into a crucial couple of weeks. Crawley have three games at home, I think, done the start. Was it Doncaster tonight? We record this on Tuesday morning. Um, Rochdale and then Grimsby, and then obviously those two teams, Pools and Crawley, go head to head on April the twenty second, um, which at one point looked like it may well be the decider, but I don't know. There's a lot of football we played, I suppose, between now and then, so so we shall see. But um, but yeah, a lot of throat you there, Joe. But just start with Bradford. How how did you sum up the kind of performance first of all? And is there um, you know four draws on the spin? Is the signs of hope for Pools, or do you think they're going to run out of games? Yeah, I can sense your pessimism there, Rich. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'm trying to be positive. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was uh, it was a very good performance, to be honest. But you, you've hit the nail on the head, really. I think at this stage of the season, the way things are going, they're all drop points at the moment, aren't they? Even when they're playing well. But in isolation, yeah, this was a, it was a really good performance. It was a really good game to to be at, to be honest. Um, both teams, it was quite end to end. There were some excellent goals both sides. You know, Andy Cook's equaliser, the second one was really good. The volley. Both Hartlepools are very good as well, so it was much improved. Um, it's a couple of games on the spin now where there's been phases in games uh, to be encouraged by, but I think this one was the one where it's been the most sustained. Um, even more so when you put it into context of who it was against, you know, Bradford in the playoffs and would have been at Valley Parade as well. So, yeah, it was a really good performance. That You know, they, they scored twice, they created a couple of other good chances as well. Um, and they posed a threat. That's, that's the main thing. They go into these teams or they play in these teams because we saw it with Northampton uh, last week as well. And they're the posing a threat. They, they score on goals. Well, that hasn't necessarily been the issue, to be honest. Um, and it's just, it's just not, they just can't turn away. I mean, look, it wasn't perfect because Bradford had chances as well. And obviously they scored two as well. Um, I mean, they, they missed a really good chance inside the first minute, which if that goes in, you know, I think it was uh, Dara Costello, he put one wide from sort of five or six yards. If that goes in, that changes the complexion of the game. Of course it does. But after the first five or ten minutes, they, they settled quite well. Uh, they got the foot on the ball. They were they, they passing it around a lot more. They, they just seem a little bit more confident. They're playing with a little bit more freedom and expressing themselves. And that's something that John Askey, he, he said all along since, since day one over the last month, that he just wants his players to try and enjoy it despite the situation and just going out and expressing themselves and, and we've seen that uh, I think on Saturday you know you, you touched on it with the with the first goal but there was a moment as well before the first goal involving Jamie Sturie and Dan Dodds on the right they linked up got all the way down to the edge of the area played it inside Dan Kemp nice little drop of the shoulder and that could have been a goal as well but the goal as you say was was excellent I think from the goalkeeper rolling it out there was nine passes if I'm not mistaken and involving five or six players Broke right the way through Bradford's sort of high press and then emphatic finish from Callum Cook. So it was it was a really good goal and it kind of shows the the improvement that we have seen in in a small space of time uh, under John Askey. Um, that goal in particular it was it was I suppose you can relate it similar to the one that uh, they scored against Harrogate in the FA Cup, but 
this one's a little bit more clinical, a little bit more ruthless, and it is a good sign. But it's just that they can't hold on to the to the wins at the moment. Some like you touched on a few of them there, but some kind of bright spots the last few weeks. Um, Cook since his injury return, um, the form of Kemp uh, since he arrived in January, he's been a really good signing. Um, Dodds him coming back, um, uh, but I guess it's. You know what we know. Twenty first of March. Um, it's it's going to be time, isn't it? I think a lot of Pools fans would be wondering what would happen if John Askey took charge when Keith Kell was appointed. Yeah, yeah. There's a good there's a good argument for that in terms of what we're saying. I think you can you can dismiss the Walsall game because he'd only been in the building forty eight hours. Really, well, not even that long. I don't think. Uh, and he told us after that game that that was pretty much a, an Anthony Sweeney team set up and. So, so you can rule that one out as though, even though it was the three-three draw, they came back and scored twice in stoppage time. If you look at the other three, Tranmere, Northampton, and Bradford on Saturday, where he's had a full week on the training ground each time, we are seeing elements of what he wants, and we are seeing that sort of just a little bit more confidence. It, it looked as though, I mean, we were asking the questions on on Saturday after the game, both of John Askey and, uh, and to you and Murray, who, who came and done the, the post-match press stuff. It just feels as though they're enjoying it. It just feels as though they're enjoying it a little bit more. Um, and even which is quite odd to say, given the situation that they're in, uh, and that does it does come out on the field. You can see it, and just in terms of how they they passing and moving, and they sort of there for each other. But in terms of the players that you've mentioned, Callum Cook, he's obviously one of the ones that's come back in, probably ahead of schedule as well. You know, he he was thrown in straight into the starting lineup against Tranmere. I think the week before he'd been doing a couple of running drills against Walsall, and you're thinking easing back in probably or a couple of weeks still because. Uh, to be honest, it could have been a season-ending injury. We spoke to him after that Tranmere game, and the ankle problem was was something that at first they, they worried that his season was over. You know, but full credit to Callum Cook and the physio staff in there. They've, they've got him fit and firing back to come in, and he was very good against Tranmere. He obviously got the goal. Him and Kemp linking up well, which is something that has been a theme in these three weeks since. Um, and then he did it again on on Saturday. So two goals in three games. If he can continue that up with his threat from assist from sort of dead ball situations as well in terms of assisting as well you you never know i mean they need goals from elsewhere other than relying on josh Murray, which is what they're getting through kemp and cook at the minute but his return has been really good and like i say that link up with kemp is something that we have seen but kemp's been a revelation to be honest for for all the talk about keith curl whether it was right decision or the wrong decision he, he did play a part in bringing him to the club and he's been an excellent get for them from mk duns you know i think that was his Sixth goal, nine games. There's an assist to his name as well. He's got that kind of star quality that has been missing. Um, and I mean, to be honest, he's. I think everyone would agree he's above a League Two relegation battle. He should certainly be in a team at the top end of the table, or well, getting more opportunities for a side like MK Dons. So, full credit to him as well, because I mean, the situation that he arrived on transfer deadline day, I can't imagine Hartlepool were very enticing proposition but he, he's dropped down he's come in and he's, he's using it as a challenge he sees it as an opportunity to to come in and, and be that guy who can sort of save them to be honest and keep them up so full credit for him for that i was gonna i suppose one thing in asking his favor in the last couple of weeks is that the midweek matches have thinned out so they're basically just playing saturday saturday out and throughout march which obviously then helps and gives him that time on the training ground and things like that i suppose something that Kel would potentially argue that he didn't have a lot of given the amount of schedule, but that would just be an excuse. I think I'm just laughing because I've just looked at my mortgage. It's actually A for my daughter, not for Asky, but we'll go with that. <laughs> um, moving on then from Bradford, um, 
I guess let's just reflect on on John Askey and your um, obviously dealings within the last couple of weeks. Um, how have you found him? What's the kind of mood like in the camp? Because to be fair, I know the mood was good, wasn't it, under Curl? I think the players seem to enjoy uh, life under him. Maiden Cassidy certainly made a lot of improvements um, in terms of morale and linking up various sections of the club behind the scenes that I think had been harmed significantly when Hartley was there, it's fair to say. Um, yeah, what's your what's your take on John Askey? And, you know, I think we understand he's under contract next season, isn't he? So um, if the worst was to happen, which you all obviously hope it doesn't, do you think Pools would be well-placed to potentially bounce back up with him at the helm? Possibly. I mean, it's, it's tough because obviously if, if that does happen in the summer, there's going to be, I think either way, there's going to be such turnover and transition again, uh, even if they stay in the division, but certainly if they go down with players out of contract and things like that, you do wonder whether there was an element of bringing Askey in with that in mind. I know obviously as a club, you're not going to be thinking, yeah, we'll get him in because we might be going to go down, but somewhere in the back of the mind, that might have been some of the thought process in terms of getting him in. Well, he could be a longer term appointment if that was to happen. And, and as we touched on there, it, it, with the Bradford game being the third of the, like say, I, I'll dismiss the Walsall one, but if we look at the Tranmere and Northampton and Bradford games, you can certainly see that style of play being implemented. Um, I don't necessarily think he's playing the system that he wants to be playing. I think, you know, from reports that we've heard and people that we've spoken to and sort of inside track pieces and things like that, he tends to favour more of a 4-3-3, but he's, he's dictated by another two managers' worth of players, really. He hasn't got anyone that he necessarily wants in there. So the system that is at the moment is the system that suits them and, he's getting the best tune out of them that we've seen all season in just three games, really, barring maybe one or two in isolation under Keith Curl, where they won. But in terms of deal with as well, he's not he's not under any illusion in terms of what he's coming with. I quite enjoyed the fact that when he got unveiled, it was just straight down to business. There was no sort of song and dance about him coming in and bringing out press big press conferences and things like that. It was a case of just straight on to Walsall and talking about that rather than him being the new manager, if you will, which is kind of what they needed, you know, three managers in a season. How often does that work for teams? And he, he's come in and he's pulling no punches. He's telling how it is. He, he's not saying more than what he needs to say. He, he knows the situation and he knows that it's going to take a monumental effort for them to get out of it. But he's confident in the players. In I think the last couple of games, you, you can start and get that encouragement from them. It's just a case of whether they can convert a win because the longer it goes without a win, I mean, I think we're at now, I think it's the longest they've gone without a win since the start of the season under Paul Hartley, which is quite mad to think about it, considering that there has been a couple of decent performances in there. And they probably uh, need three or four wins. Yeah. <laughs> or at least two yeah. or three before the end of the season. Exactly. I mean, that was one thing he said on day one, continuation from Keith Curl. I think he said we need five wins before he got, before he got sacked. And John Askey said the same. Problem is now, you know, that now means you need to win more than half of your games that are remaining. So... It's a big ask, considering that you've only won, what, six in 37, is it? Just, well, yeah. Just, just, just a word on uh, Keith Kell. Um, Sacking, fair enough, or do you think it was a, you know, harsh, or should Pools have kept him as interim boss? Was it a mistake from Raj to have on a full-time deal the day before the Stockport game? <laughs> well, I mean... You decide which of those to answer first, as a throw you <laughs> Yeah, I mean, in terms of turning turning him into, like, the, the appointment permanent was... It's something that will probably always come back, won't it? Um, the way that the season was going, I know he'd won a couple of games by that point, two or three maybe. 
it would have made more sense to just leave it as it is the interim title until the end of the season to see how things played out. I think we'll probably all have opinions as to how or why that was done the way that it was done. But in terms of Curl leaving, I think it's hard to disagree, really, given the, the Newport game was the one, wasn't it? Um, in terms of you, you walked out of that game on, on the Tuesday night and it just had that feeling as though that could be it for him. Uh, with the stoppage time goal, the fans turned, you know, he, he was, to be credit to him, he, he, sort of, he walked out on the field and he took the brunt of it, but the fans had turned and they were letting him know in no uncertain terms how they felt about the situation. I mean, there was no shots on target that game. And that was a game that was a game in hand at that point, um, which could have put a little bit more pressure on Crawley, and it just absolutely wasn't good enough. So it did feel as though that was kind of the end game for him. And even in his post match, he he kept sort of bringing up the Walsall game as though how that was a must win, and it felt to me as though that was a little bit of a plea to have one more chance, one more crack at it. Ultimately, twenty four hours later, he was he was out of a job, um, and. Really, he just he, he wasn't able to get enough results. I think he, he won six games in 24, which it's not going to be enough to keep you up. Granted, it was an improvement on the start of the season where there was no wins in nine, but that's not going to keep you up. Um, and I mean, I'm talking about the Newport game, but really you could go back into January. January was a massive month, not just off the field in terms of bringing players in, but there were some big fixtures in there. They had Harrogate, Gillingham, Rochdale and Colchester all to play in January. And they only, won, they only took four points from that. Um, the Gillingham one as well was was a one that really concerned me. That was midway through January. They had a couple of players come in, a couple of misses in transfers. So you're thinking he would go again. But and obviously Gillingham had had that turnover as well. They were getting some sort of high caliber players in, and they went there. And I, I just didn't. I think I said it on this podcast at the time. I, I didn't like that performance at all. It just didn't. Something didn't sit right. They didn't see him up for it, and that was alarming. I know they got the mini revival with Rochdale, but then they went and lost against Colchester. So that was a bit of a killer. Um, to, only, to only take three points out of those nine, forgetting the Harrogate game on New Year's Day was was probably what did it for him in the end. Um, you could play devil's advocate a little bit and say, well, he was allowed to bring in 11 players and then well, 12 if you bring Count Leon Clark, who's since gone. And he only had five games to sort of mould a team or, or, or get, get to know those players and work with those new players he brought in. He only had five games, but the way that the situation was and the way that the amount of games that were racking up in hand for Crawley, it was it, you did reach that point where there was a decision to be made. Do we gamble and stick with them or do we gamble the other way and, and try and get a bit of a boost, which is the way that they've gone? Um, <clears throat> what's your kind of gut then, Joe, as we hit it in the last six weeks or so of the season? Do you think Pools have done enough in the January transfer window to give them the edge? I mean, injuries are obviously hampering Pools. Obviously, Joshua missed a few games. He's obviously back now, but... Um, yeah, do you think what you kind of go? Do you think you're going to have enough to get over the line? <sighs> yeah, million dollar question. Um, I will touch on the injuries first. I mean, that is one thing that they have struggled with all season, and certainly through sort of February as well. When you mentioned that Josh Moore has been out, they are getting those players back. Uh, I think there's only really Peter Hartley and Joe Gray who are missing, who are on the brink of coming back anywhere now. Um, obviously, Alex Lacey is a longer term one, but they are getting close to having a full squad. So. John Askey does have options available there in terms of what, what he's got in his squad. <sighs> I think we'll know more by next Saturday in terms of Crawley have those three games over the next 10 days. Three home games, they're two games in hand. We get to April the 1st and it's 
every everyone's on a level play, playing field then in terms of the games that they've played. Um, it'll then become essentially an eighth-game mini-season. Hartlepool will know what they've got to do, how many wins they've got to, to take and how much luck they need from other teams doing them favours. Um, the problem is, you look at those three games that Crawley have got, you mentioned at the top of the show here that Doncaster tonight, then they play Rochdale on Saturday and then they play Grimsby who... You know they've had a great season back in the football league, and how much of how much is their season now over now that the FA Cup runs over as well? So there's three games for Crawley there that you think it's not inconceivable to suggest that they'll pick up certainly one win, maybe two, and then you all you're looking at a three game swing then for Hartlepool to turn it around with them facing arguably the hardest test they could on Saturday and late now in the league leaders. So it's going to be tough. I wrote a piece for the Hartlepool Mail yesterday, sort of saying. It could get worse before it gets better, and I firmly believe it's going to get worse before it could could get better. Um, I think the hope would be you can make it to that Crawley game at the end of April, where there'd be three games to go, and they'd be within some sort of touching distance, or that would bring them to within a game turnover. Going it just to, to take into them last few games at, at this stage, that's how that's how it feels because. <laughs> They dropping points. I mean, essentially, yes, they've had good performances, Hartlepool, but they've dropped six points in the last three games from winning positions, and they can't keep doing that. They're going to have to. They're going to have to win a game against a team that they probably aren't expected to win, like Saturday or on Easter Monday when they when Stevenage come up, for example. Yeah, Easter's often a <clears throat> key period, isn't it? When you've got two games in three, three, four days, and then obviously six point swings either way. And Easter's often critical and key as to how where teams are going to finish but but yeah orient on saturday uh orient top of the table nice and easy one for pools but you never know Liam. you never know on paper people would have written that off but you know there's a bit of solidity there with pools have drawn four um that will build some sort of confidence but yes as you say they need minimum four wins from nine probably five or at least to go unbeaten i mean they could go unbeaten the rest of the season <laughs> um, <laughs> that's yeah that's, that will be very ambitious i mean yeah you talk about Leighton Orient. It, it is a daunting fixture but at the same time you would you would have thought we looked at i think once you came off the back of that newport game you looked at this run of games and it was hard to see even any points let alone wins like even getting single points so they've made a decent start in that aspect in terms of just shifting that mindset of thinking oh well it's not as not as difficult a challenge as it might seem on paper, you know. And I mean, Leighton Orient, they, they dropped two points in on to Colchester on Saturday. Yeah, I think they scored two sort of very late on. So they're going to have to, they're going to have to get a result against one of these teams. It is as simple as that. They're going to have to spring a surprise result. And it is the sort of time of the season where things like that happen, isn't it? You, you get some, some freak results. I mean, there was quite a few on Saturday, to be honest, if you look at some of the goals that went in. Uh, I think Rochdale four four at Swindon, for example. So you do get strange results at this time of the year when teams at the bottom are, are, are literally fighting for their lives, which is what Hartlepool are doing. Um, the one thing you would say is that they are fighting. It doesn't look like a team who are who are giving up and are throwing the towel in. They, they do look up for it, which is what certainly one positive that you can take from it. But yeah, it's a tough test on Saturday. You know, I think uh, the reverse fixture early in the season four two down at Leighton Orient was. They were probably the best side that I've seen this season. I think 4-2, that flattered Hartlepool as well. It could have been a lot more. And they've got some really good players in there, you know, Paul Smith, Kelman, Sotrio. I think they've kept the most clean sheets as well. So it's pretty much as tough as it gets, really, on Saturday. The only, 
it's at home. That, that's probably the one thing you can take from it, uh, where they'll have the support behind them. But I guess there'll be one eye as well on that Crawley Rochdale game. Looking ahead, then, um, obviously, you know, all of what we're about to discuss will wholly be dependent on which league they're in. And I know John Askey's already touched on kind of the contract situation, which is understandable. You're not going to be handing out contracts now to certain players if, you know, if you're going to be a National League club, for example. And A, they might not be able to afford them, or B, that player might not want to play at that level. Um, but yeah, just looking ahead to the summer and the constant churn of staff and players at the club over the last two years, probably. Is it 38 players have signed in the last 12 months or so, or the last few transfer windows? I mean, that's a ridiculously high number of players, doesn't provide any kind of stability. Uh, and then obviously the back room issues in terms of staff turnover, the amount of, you know, sort of physios and sport, sport, um, what's the word I'm after, Joe? Sport, uh, yeah, the, the good hand to go through. Um, what needs to change on that front? And with the appointment of sport director Darren Kelly, how, you know, how busy is he going to be over the next few months? Well, yeah, we've touched on it there in terms of, I think there'll be a big turnover, whichever way it goes over the next six or seven weeks, probably more so if if it goes the wrong way. Um, it's, it's a question that I've asked John Askey since he's come in on both in terms of the playing staff and the backroom staff, in terms of it, it's not sustainable and it really isn't. It, it really, really isn't. You, you look at clubs that are successful. Yeah, sometimes you can get away with big turnovers of players. I mean, look at Stevenage, for example. I think they had sort of 14 or 15 players come in in the summer and they've gone from relegation candidates last year to promotion candidates this year. So it can work in terms of the playing staff if everything is everyone's pulling in the same direction. But with Hartlepool, it just seems as though there's so many variables and so many things that are out of sync with each other throughout this sort of 12, 18 months since they've come back in, basically since Dave Challenon left. There hasn't been any sort of continuity on or off the field, and that's just it's just conducive to not being well where they're at basically, and not being able to improve on what they did last season. You know, because at this time last year, you know, they would just come off the back of that Rotherham semi-final. The club was in a pretty good place. You know, they'd come back up after a really short turnaround, almost basically two seasons back to back. Pretty pretty comfortably stayed up, got to within a penalty shootout of getting to Wembley for the first time. That was a place to build and then yes the season drastically tailed off and you know they didn't win i think in the last nine but then what's happened in the summer and since has just been it's been chaos really hasn't it and it's just got to stop it simply has to stop in terms of everyone behind the in the backroom staff all these players coming and going i mean you look at leon clark he came in he's been there three weeks and he's already out the door ask he's three weeks with him and uh, recognize that he probably isn't good enough you know and there's been too many players that have come in and just haven't been haven't been good enough on that front. And then with the staff as well, I mean, I know Chris Trottery, he, he's he's left from the head of recruitment role. This is where Darren Kelly's probably come in as the sporting director. A lot of it will fall on his head. Uh, like you said, I think it's 32 players who've come in since the summer. A lot of that will fall on his head, but I'd be interested to know how many of the 32, or particularly the 16 of the summer, were players that he went and brought to Paul Hartley, for example, or whether there's maybe a little bit of scapegoatism coming in here with with him going out the door. But yeah, Darren Kelly's got a big job on his hands. Um, it'll be interesting to see as well whether it is just going to be him bringing the players to John Askey or whether there will be a mixture of kind of what we've probably seen over the last 12 months because 
somewhere along the line there's got to be a decision made well it's your final decision it's, it's up to you who's coming in or the other way around whether it's the manager sort of thing so yeah a lot of hard work for him but he's not really going to get to know much until the summer until we know what happens over the next six or seven weeks with which division they're going to be in yeah i remember we had a conversation just finally um i think after the other game when obviously they were safe they're at the cup but we i remember vividly saying that they had chance then to try and build ahead of the next season and get everything in play you know as much as you can obviously it's tricky transfer wise at that level but uh, but it just didn't did it? <laughs> it just no. deteriorated obviously Graham Lee then left and then you, again you've got the manager churn player churn somebody's then got to bring in their own new players and it's just this constant cycle and the summer was um well it was a car crash wasn't it I mean Reg Singh has been strong in the criticism of that himself um so yeah We'll see I mean, the contract things though, as well. Like you saying, there was a chance to build the contract. Is certainly, one thing. I mean, we've seen it two years on the spin now, where they've lost their player of the season in resorts, and then Luke Molyneux, Timmy Odesina went last year because they couldn't agree a contract. Gary Diddle went, and there's every chance that's going to happen again this summer because, as we discussed last week, as I asked them, there's no talks that have been held yet. You can yeah, you can probably say rightly so at the moment because the focus is on just trying to stay in the division, but. Then that all of a sudden only gives you sort of six or seven weeks to to tie down a, a Jamie Sturry and like he, he's probably the main one. <clears throat> More so, maybe he's another one. Nicky Featherson, three players there. Key decisions have got to be made, and <laughs> if they couldn't reach terms with the likes of Luke Molyneux from February last year when he started negotiations, how much hope do you hold that they'll be able to tie down someone like Jamie Sturry, who, when he's fit, we, we've discussed at length before on this podcast the attributes that he has and the quality that he possesses for this division. He's, he's a player who's not going to want to play in the National League again, you would fancy. So it's difficult. That's, and that's what I mean in terms of the, the turnover and the transition that's probably going to happen again in the summer. We are likely going to see players who are going out of contract leaving for free, which is just unfortunate. And I know it does happen at this level, but it seems to be happening every season at the moment for Hartlepool. And it's something, again, that, that's got to stop. That Darren Kelly's probably got to try and make sure that it stops going forward. Good stuff. I think we'll end it there before we depress anyone anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's looking, hoping for uh, three points to late Norrington on Saturday. Um, me and Joel will catch up next uh, week or so. Um, and we'll, um, yeah, we'll be across all things pools. Uh, in the meantime, please keep logging on to heartpoolmail.co.uk for the latest from the Vic from uh, from Joe. And uh, the Heartpool Mail print edition is out every Thursday, ahead of a big few weeks and months. Joe, thanks for your time as ever. And we'll, yeah, good to see you. we'll catch you next time. Cheers.